Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Tuning in your transmissions. I'm waiting to be This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 700. Yes, I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hope everyone is fine and dandy. <laughs> show 700, man. And you know what makes it kind of even more special is the main fiction, that feeling you're feeling by, guess who? Matthew Sanborn Smith. Yes, Matt Smith. Fiction crawler Matt Smith, who... <laughs> I think it's every three years puts out a fiction crawler, but it's just lovely to have Matthew on. Wow, man. And Anthony Barrington as well on kind of the voice. Just what a show for 700. I am so happy about this. I'll give you, if you do, I'm going to just, just jump straight into it. I'll give you a little heads up about Matthew Sanborn Smith. Matthew Sanborn Smith was born and raised in New England and spent so many years in Florida. Even his Florida-born children are well into adulthood. His fiction has appeared at Starship Sofa, Tor.com, Nature, Apex Magazine and the Drabblecast, amongst others. He is the keeper of Beware the Hairy Mango podcast. You can support his future works by way of Patreon.com slash Matthew Sanborn Smith. Now, this story is an original to Starship Sova, and it's narrated by Anthony Babington. Anthony Babington is a voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. He can also be heard on the Tales to Terrify podcast and has recorded for both Farfetch'd Fables and the Cursed In podcast. So... The Starship Sova is very, very proud to present That Feeling You're Feeling by Matthew Sanborn Smith. 
I was out of bed, pissed out, shat out, shaved up, jerked off, hosed down, filled up, brushed back, geared out, and on the street, heading for the three-car pileup on Delphi Avenue. Someone was dead, and I headed to capture the ones they'd left behind. I weaved my bike between a dust-covered metro bus and a plumbing van sporting a faded superhero logo, and then around a bouncing flatbed of dancers promoting tonight's show. I nearly took a wrapped foot to my face. Through a swarm of surveyor bots and into the burnt-hair stench of new construction as a mountain of green foam spewed through the air from a meter-wide hose to cake and harden onto the graphene-wire framework of what will soon be yet another black-tar lounge. Lizzie chattered in my ear. Cleanup's already on their way to the accident. You better hustle. You want shock and horror. Funeral homes just for sadness. Nothing's wrong with sadness, I said, but I gunned my key-thin bike always thinking in the back of my head that one day I was going to be the star of my own accident. When that day came, all I hoped for was semi-consciousness and one free thumb to hit the record button before sinking into the great black. And speaking of that, that feeling you're feeling, beloved subscriber, is the rope-started chest engine of your host rushing to a scene of action, as the manhole covers jump across lanes to break you, and the synthesized motor whir of several thousand electric cars threaten to rattle the teeth right out of your receding gums. Hot winds blowing down from the desert side meet fog rolling in from Oceanside, and the two do their damnedest to steam and smother your uptown struggle, while you dodge blockbuster trucks and ballsy, bolting pedestrians who make your chance-taking look timid. And all the while, that chemical churning in your gut tells you you're going to be late. You're going to miss not just this one, but the next, and the next, and then goodbye, pay packet, farewell, grease-stained hovel, and sayonara, PB&Js. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I bounced my fist off the candy-red button that took up the face of my little Yonop 360-square emotion capture, its spindly legs wrapped around my handlebars for dear life. Too much feeling for too long, and the audience gets overwhelmed. Then there's the chance of feedback, and the subject's brain, which in this case resides in my skull, runs that emotional loop for longer than is healthy. What about any of my businesses healthy? I knew I was nearly there when the rolling walls of steel and plastic to each side stopped passing me. 
Then the only movement was me, and those frantic running uniforms, or the jogging interlopers being led on day-glow leashes by panting coats of fur, rolling with oiled joints and knotted muscles so close to tangling in the blur of my spokes. There. Lights of four different colors strobed against the sun. The sleek Easter shells of automobiles wrongly cracked open, their jagged, itchy fibers stabbing out to breathe the air for the first time since their sealed confinement on the production line. The asphalt was covered in pebbles of transparent plastic sprinkled among the yellow and red. Muggy air spiraled with sirens, sliced by the pops and hisses of Motorola's on half a dozen frequencies. A rumpled sheet draped a body long and wide. Both the sheet and the road beneath it were trimmed with a dark stain. There, being led away, slow, red-eyed, bent and bandaged. A little closer, I could get her. Stand the bike, squeeze through the crushing corridor on foot, the treasure glittering with teardrops just beyond. My little box perched on the cliff of my outstretched hand. My long thumb reached forth, slid across the slick red plastic. That feeling you're feeling is having your world collapse in on itself. In on you. Your big bull of a father, that man who has been in your life longer than you've been in your life, was just there and suddenly, a quarter century in, you've tripped into a new, uncharted time where he isn't. From smoothing down the avenue, eating fries talking shit to BOOM! And you don't know what's happening. Nothing like that has ever. He won't answer you no matter how loud you scream for him. Your father's big boat of a car is now your father's big boat of a coffin. You're buried in it with him. It's wrong when they peel you out. You can't feel your feet, but somehow you don't fall over. Then you're handed around from soft-speaking person to soft-speaking person, all of them doing things that need to be done. What has happened? What has happened? What has happened? What has happened? You go where they lead. You don't know why. There's no reason to go anywhere anymore. My fingers caged that little box like a football player cradling his baby ball to protect it from the motion and the violence all around him. I felt the air that the fist drove into me before the fist itself. My face so doesn't care anymore. One more punch doesn't mean a thing. I imagine myself in the dead man's place, his face, his body crushed in a blink between two one-ton fists. Two massive burning battery blocks and all the protection they wore. Doesn't mean a thing. The only surprise is that the fist came from an EMT rather than a cop this time. He threw words at me like sharpened shuriken, hoping they'd stick. I squeezed back out, helped by a shove from another one who sent me over my bike and then onto the street. My knee, my elbow, and my face all competed in my brain, each crying that they burned the most. Stumbling away, I composed my posts and hit send. The ride home didn't matter. I rode, in a thick cushion of wet air. The sun, like a long, thin tongue snaking through a termite's nest, tried finding its way around our thin mountains and into our narrow valleys. It caught me here and there, but I always escaped. Then I was out of the race for one quick breather. I was home. Gerda was there, the only color in my dingy place. Fine copper hair, face and hands trimmed with sea-green webs of Viking ornamentation to match her eyes dressed in asymmetric panels of jade and black. I loved her more than anyone in this world. But I'd forgotten how to feel the elation of seeing her for the first time of the day. My heart had lost the trick of quickening. My teeth stayed put behind their sealed lips. She didn't rise, caught in the gravity well of my sagging sofa. I don't know how you do that day after day, she said. What's that? Bleed? It's easy if you know how to open up. How you traffic in misery. All the time, Shuck. Cold water sluiced the dirt and the blood all over the dishes in my little sink. My sleeve went up, 
My pants went down. Splashes of alcohol from under the sink went on next. It felt like rolling in fire ants. It felt like Tuesday. You saw the post on the woman on Delphi, I guessed. What was her name? You know I don't do names. I respect the privacy. Gerda whipped the remote she'd been caressing into a catcher's mitt of a couch cushion. You don't respect shit. You think saying her name is more personal than exposing what she's going through to the world? I wish it was the world. I'd be living in a much nicer place. Just fucking look her up. All those other venues who reported the accident, who you're not pissed at right now, they post names, addresses, jobs, the whole thing. I checked my knee. Blood still ran from the seams. The side drawer. The tiny tube of knit skin. Its air wheezed out with a pinch. A gooey bubble popped at the mouth. The ectoplasm of a once full container now passed. Why didn't I ever stock up on this stuff? Oh, right. Perpetually skint. I just wish I could talk to her and, like, give her a hug or something, Gerda said. That's good. That means I'm doing my job. She cursed me with her eyebrows. I tied a dish towel around my knee and abandoned my pants on the kitchen floor until they could ride up my leg once more. I looked dumbly at my cupboards. I was aimless until Lizzie's next call. Gerda looked as lost as I felt. You don't give a damn about any of these people you record, do you? That starving kid the other night? I bought him a sandwich. I'm not a fucking monster. Yeah, after you recorded his burning stomach and dizzy head. What do you want me to do? Buy him a sandwich before I capture? Then the subscribers don't pay me and nobody gets a sandwich. You're a sociopath, you know that? I can't deal with you right now. Gerda slid off the couch into a squat and then rose in a fluid motion. A professional trainer, that one. Her bones didn't creak. Muscles weren't dry as jerky. Her hinges flowed smoothly from one pose to the next. Unbruised elbows, unswollen knees. Good. Just go cool off for a while, I said. Just go fuck yourself for a while. I got a client. Her pale skin was flushed. It wasn't my brain. It was my instinct that told me to reach for the yawnop on my shirt pocket. She looked at me and I froze. I will break your goddamn thumb, she said. I moved my hand away from the yawnop slowly like it was my Ruger and she was a cop. That rush the Yanop captures is as vivid to the subscriber as it is to the broken heart that hatched it. But that's all it is. Intense emotion with a thousand flickers of ephemeral life experience firing on all sides, like getting caught in the Taiwan Strait on the wrong day. The subscribers don't feel it, they live it, but they don't know why. I give them the context for the knife that plunges into their chest, why it's there, all that went into the thrust, and where that leaves their freshly punctured lives. I'm just paying the bills. The subscribers are the sad bastards who pay money for heartache. I had even less money when Gerda and I met two years ago. All I had to offer were experiences. The real kind, not the type I sell. We slept in the desert where the sky is at its highest resolution and the stars are so crisp they snap. We skateboarded, screaming down Cemetery Hill and eating shit at its foot on purpose to avoid vehicular suicide. She thought my work was edgy back then, that I was dangerous. I fed on that until she realized it was my finances that were edgy and my worldview that was dangerous. And I was nothing but the hollowed-out body that fit into the life I had built myself but left long ago. Lizzie? Yeah, what's up? I don't know. 
I gotta work out some things out loud, you know? Things must be bad. You're looking for a friend, and the best you can come up with is me. Don't be so hard on yourself. I'm not, Shuck. I'm being hard on you. Are you drunk right now? I wish I was. Gerd has been avoiding me. Listen, do you ever question if this is what we should be doing with our lives? Me? I'm fine. I'm right where I want to be. You're good with all this? You don't think we're poisoning the culture with what we're doing? Holding a bullhorn up to the weeping masses? Oh, that! What you do! Yeah, I guess I feel that sometimes. But I've got a lot of other stuff going on. I've got a whole city full of people who need me here, Shuck. I aim people toward hot meals. I find lost kids. Once I even found a stolen one. I get people to shelters. I hook them up with jobs. All sorts of stuff. I didn't know all that. You're a saint, and I'm a piece of shit. Well, no argument with that last part. I'm not really a saint. I'm just damaged enough to look like one. I'm stuck inside all day, so I gotta connect. Even with the likes of you. If I wasn't doing this, I would have off myself years ago, believe me. Don't worry. If I ever do, I'll call you first so you can rush over and capture my heart while it still pushes the blood cells over their short skin walls and off to their freedom. I don't know what to say to that. Well, that's a first. Look, if you don't like what you're doing, do something else. You can capture anything, you know. Misery is just a small part of life. I know you don't understand the words that are spilling from my lips, but that's the best I can do for you. These people crave tragedy, Lizzie. And it would be a hell of a lot harder to track those other stories down if they didn't. Yeah, well, it was great being talked at by you, Shuck. Call me back when you're finally hear what I've said. Lizzie didn't shout at me the morning of the fire at the old room. I had to find out about it along with the general public, but I got down there. Great thing about a nighttime fire is you'll always find some ruined souls just showing up when it's light. The old room was the original location of the Maberly Museum of Art before they grew their rubbercrete ovoids around it and relegated the building to the previous century's fine arts wing. That's right, the most combustible one. Probably should have stuck some statues in there instead. That feeling you're feeling is one of the Maberly Museum's staunchest patrons shattered. A life dedicated through money, through suggestion, through influence, to gathering the finest work mankind is capable of, saving it, protecting it, in order to give it to the human beings you share this city with, and with all those yet to come. And this morning you ask yourself if your life has been a waste. Worse yet, how many of the works the Orange Knight has transformed to smoking char might still exist had you not stretched and bargained and persuaded in order to capture them all and place them in this elegant tinderbox with the knot of rust trap in its pipes? You snuck closer than you should have when you had the chance, crept your loose 63-year-old body across the borderline that was once a wall. Fire ages the young to death in minutes, curls the stiffest posture, brittles the hard yellow bones of once-proud trees that held this space in. The smoke stung your eyes and drew out the sobs you never knew had been hiding down there. A stench of your life burnt black is taken up home in your nose like a parasite that can't be flushed. You'll smell it every remaining night as you lie in your soft bed, whether that will be the 4,000 more nights granted you by the actuarial tables, or just part of the next one, assuming the day doesn't deliver word of some precious piece or two spared from the belly of the dragon. The row of shrubs between the lot and the sidewalk might have been a headstone for the forest that owned this part of the state centuries ago. The patches of dirt that let themselves get caught dead in the city don't seem capable of growing anything. There's no other vegetation to die here, nothing to feed the starving earth. We've sifted the life from it. In exchange, we feed it diapers shredded to plastic fluff, torn taco wrappers, and the occasional piss. 
we forget that the world's corpse is there underneath all of this. It was pure chance that the traffic lightened enough to grab my attention. My eyes caught an incongruous familiarity across the street half a second before I recognized it as Gerda. That enormous saddle-tan vinyl bag guarding her left flank like a shield. Deeply weird seeing her on this side of the river. And not only because she said she was getting her 14th Street appointments out of the way today. Gliding past the glittering windows of Iris Jewelers, she looked like she always belonged here and never on 14th Street. In a click, I understood how out of place she'd always seemed at home. Of course, she didn't look my way. A newly burned-out wreck of a building attracts the eyes of nearly every human on the planet, but Gerda would never register it. Always in her own head about her work, about her leads, about the next-level client that would lift her up out of our neighborhood. I admired her work ethic, but how could she ignore the city, the world, humanity falling to pieces around her, so focused on her future, but not the future? And sure as hell not our future. I know the subtleties between Gerda's slovenly, dressed-down-to-grab-a-half-gallon-of-oat-milk-from-the-corner look, and her meticulous, dressed-down-to-draw-you-into-what-I've-got-going-on look. Today, she impressed even me, though I haven't been her target for a good long time. Client meeting? Upscale shopping trip? I'm not her owner, nor her master, and what Gerda does on her own time is her own business. But it seemed too childish for her to lie to me for lying's sake. Better to not get into it. I took my eyes off her and tried to forget I'd seen her. Then I tried even harder. I never knew what I was doing at home. I never felt at home at home. This was weirder than usual. I found myself pacing around the micro-perimeter, whistling a dead tune, like I was signaling the liberators hiding in the jungle just beyond the electric fence. I didn't know why I was restless. I was happy with the latest post. I had a few bucks for a decent lunch and a hookah fill. For some reason, a post I did months ago got into my head. A selfie with Gerda. I needed that right now. Needed to be reminded of what we had together. I wrapped my receiver around my chest and looked it up. That feeling you're feeling is love. Finely aged for comfort, for warmth, forever. It's the love of yours truly and his truly. Not that fiery passion of the romance movie, or the clumsy charm of the rom-com. More like the you-and-me-against-the-world love. That settled-in and sure love. The love you can always count on being there. The love where you don't care if you're going nowhere. The popping fire that keeps out the cold against the night of growing old. This ain't no trophy or token win. This is the love that's broken in. Shit. Whatever that was, that wasn't the little jolt of intensity I was hoping for. Nothing to boost me. Not only had I dragged that rhyme past its expiration date, I saw now that Gerda and I had fell hella short of a romance novel. I'd felt better before I dug the damn thing up. How did our relationship hit middle age long before we did? I got a fat $300 bill when I was 12 years old. My total inheritance when my mom died. My grandma told me to save it, pull it out when things got bad. It'd be like my mother helping me out from heaven. I told her things had just gotten as bad as they were ever going to get. I dropped that fat bill at Marcel's. Marcel's shop did custom paint jobs for everything from lowriders to classics to shitbox wannabes. I didn't have any of those. I had my old gray bicycle. My tightest companion through school, the neighborhood, and life. My steed. It was harder parting with that bike for the three days Marcel wanted it than it was parting with the money. The next time I saw it, that bike gave me a hard-on. 
Cobalt blue with metallic microflake. It shone like a sapphire in the after-school sun. Nothing in the neighborhood caught eyes like that bike. To properly set the blue off, Marcel re-blacked the tires, the seat, and the handlebars. Even dropped a GPS beacon down into its aluminum bowels, because he said this shit was bound to get stolen. Not if I could help it. It spent its days inside Grandma's apartment. When I did take it out, Rufus Chetty was almost always by my side, helping me guard it in exchange for letting him ride it every so often. We shared everything. Not always a smart thing to do. I felt my mom there, whenever I rode that bike, always shaking her head, either at how I pissed away her money or how goddamn vibrant and beautiful that bike was. Grandma cursed every time she looked at it. She didn't get it that I wanted to have one nice thing in my life, especially since Mom died. Everything I looked at felt like a weight on my back. I wanted one thing that made me stand up straight. Tonight I lay on a mattress that felt like a lunar landscape, watching the cherry of my cigarette bob in the darkness like a questing insect, toward me, away from me, but never so far away. Funny. As much horrific shit as I've seen, kids floating face down forever, her body is scarred like wet red skin stretched over straw. Insomnia has never been a problem. Exhaustion has always protected me in the past. I looked for the ceiling above that wasn't there, and I couldn't stop thinking about what might be happening right now at my old pal Rufus's diner. The place was nostalgia for a time none of us lived through. Had a reputation for low-budget love stories. We all craved love. The one gift you could never keep for yourself. Like I said, Rufus and I shared everything. One time we got our twelve-year-old drunk on with a highball glass full of vodka and tried to convince Alicia that going with the two of us at the same time would be thirty percent better than going with Big Eye Matt's. To this day, I still think that's true. We were just messing around, but Matt's didn't take it that way. And again, I don't know exactly what Alicia told him. Rufus and I were good at not being where his punches landed, but he was more patient than I gave him credit for. Early evening, one time when we'd forgotten what we'd even done, he sprang out from behind the old Dalla Dalla B&G that butted up against the lot we always hung at. He whipped what looked like a black water balloon at my bike. When the skin burst, whatever was in it turned a nasty trick with the oxygen and my damn bike was on fire. Later I remembered its seat flaming up with a chemical stink. The rear tire went soft, lost its tread, and spread across the dirt like a slow-motion molasses spill. But at the time, all I could see was that beautiful sapphire skin bubbling, cracking, and curling through the dancing plasma. It felt like a rib spreader had opened my chest to the burning air. For the first time in my life, I wasn't afraid of Big Eye Matt's. I didn't care if he had another water balloon just for me. I didn't care that he stood his ground with a smile and waited for me. I went for him. I was a wildcat made of punches and kicks and claws and jaws. His fists were bombs dropped from on high. They shook my body like wrecking balls, cracked my wide face to the sinuses. I didn't question why there was no pain. I kept on mats. Rufus, bless him, didn't want any part of this. But he went in and got enough licks to say he helped. I didn't even notice him. Mats was all I saw, until my one eye was swollen and the other filled with the ground below. Fierce as I was, Mats had fifty pounds of puberty on his side. Dude, you alright? You okay? Rufus's voice slowly found a place in my head. He shook me gently, worried that more of me might rip open. We gotta get you to the R, man. What? What'd you say? 
I don't know how much of my face was tears and how much was blood. I don't know what I said or tried to say through a throatful of snot. But eventually, as my limited line of sight filled with clots of flaming grass and converses and flip-flops and filthy bare feet, words gurgled out. They sounded like they were saying, My bike! Three days since Gerda last came around. If she'd been here, we'd be asleep on the sofa, intertwined like those ancient Scandinavian scrawls that frame her face. She wouldn't come near this bed, believing it was old enough that several people must have died on it over the decades. I never disabused her of the thought. I liked the idea enough that I adopted it myself. She was too good for this bed. Or that sofa. Or this whole place. I didn't begrudge her a better quality of life. It was that better quality of person that pissed me off. Didn't I deserve someone amazing for once in my fucking life? I didn't reach for my phone's projector. More light wasn't going to help me fall asleep. I'd studied that last receipt nine times anyway. What was one more pass going to do for me? Rufus split for bigger and better after high school. Opened his own diner on the other side of town after a few years. Not much bigger and not a lot better, but he's out doing anything his old man ever did, for what that's worth. He called the place the Greasy Spoonbill, the logo of which was our unofficial state bird, a long-legged waterfowl dripping black with the latest oil spill. And Gerda had used my phone number there, my permanent discount code from the old roof. If Gerda ever knew they sent copies of the bills to my phone when they used my, yes, my, phone number, she must have forgotten. Or forgotten to care. Three times now. Every other day. Two meals. Two drinks, too many miles from her house or jobs to be convenient. So it wasn't just that. It was that plus the other, the walk past the Maberly. It looked like this thing we had might be winding down. It wasn't a mortal wound, just a big bruise that was going to ache every time I touched it. I didn't think I'd be able to stop touching it for a good long time. Quiet. Still. Stared at my ceiling thought. A mature man would let this go. He'd take his hits, know when he was beaten, get up, and move in another direction for his remaining years. I understood that. I wanted it for myself. But I had a post to fill, and nothing tickles the subscribers like a good kick in the gut. Like, for instance, that moment you stare your boyfriend in the face as he walks in on you and your lover. That dread, that acid bath in the belly. Ooh, a post like that would be tasty. Gerda likes to watch the street, so I came into the greasy spoonbill through the side. I squatted into the first open seat I found so I could... No shit. I almost burst out in laughter. It was her. Across the table from Gerda, that woman who survived her father in the accident on... Um... On Delphi. Gerda had wanted to go to her that very day give her a hug and a shoulder to cry on. But... Oh. I could see only Gerda's back from here, but still, I watched to give her the benefit of the doubt. I watched for all the signs of companionship, of compassion. And certainly those were there. They had to be. A guy who needed to see it as only that could have. But he'd have to really need it. He'd have to ignore those backs hunched toward the center, Twenty fingers tangled on the tabletop. The eyes of the woman on Delphi. They looked down, 
They'd look to the side, but they'd never wander far, always returning to Gerda's face. I'd tolerated the idea of an affair, accepted that I'm not much for someone like Gerda. I understood. I was detached enough that I thought I could do my job today, maintain some professional composure. I walked in here expecting the worst. For some reason, the second I thought I was wrong, and then realized I wasn't, felt like a ball-peen hammer to the eye. I was suddenly angry. Why had Gerda done this to me? My life wasn't hard enough already? She should have given me some warning, at least. Given me some extra love to tide me over for the cold winter ahead. She should have given me more. I was happy that Rufus wasn't around to visit my table. Happy that I'd been cold and shitty enough to the regulars that none of them would ever call my name with a wave. No one was watching me. I rose slowly, backs of my knees pushing my chair quietly across the gritty tiles. My hand reached into my jacket, the thumb found its home on that glossy plastic button. I slipped my shoes off to come up on her quietly. I'd figured I'd come in here for a post. A just post, any malice behind it for the subscribers, not for myself. But now it was as personal as it was ever supposed to be. My gut was a snowstorm. I wanted to make her cry. I wanted to hurt her so fucking badly. Halfway to her table, I caught Gerda's reflection in the two-meter pane of glass to her side. I slammed into a wall as big and immovable as Big Eye Matt's had ever been. Gerda's smile was broad and open to the world. I had never, in our nearly two years together, seen that smile before. One of the things she hadn't given me and never would. Not in any scenario I could come up with. Rewind. Replay. Rewind. Replay. Christ, that smile was breathtaking. A smile meant for this side of the river, and never for me. And yet, here I was, basking in its reflection all the same. What did it mean to have something for a moment without owning it? They still hadn't seen me, Gerda and Delphi. Two wrapped up with each other to know there was a world outside. Half turning back to my shoes, my pocketed hand stretched the jacket out toward Gerda, and I pressed the button. That feeling you're feeling is those first few weeks of love when everything is lit only by sunrises and even a cheap diner glows like a candlelit opera house. That fresh and giddy childlike love you slip into like the warmest and most cleansing of baths. Here you sit across the gray and red V-wing pattern formica table from the woman who, for right now, fills every empty space you've ever had. You warm yourself in the aura of her body heat and her smile sets your neurons ablaze. Fear morphs into excitement when she's near. Boredom evaporates into wonder. This is not the stifling red love of burning passion and melodrama. This is the deep-breathing green love of burgeoning life, with roots extending deep into the rich black soil. You know this is impossible. It won't last. It will go wrong at some point. You're too old to feel like this, too scarred. And yet... And yet you stay in that feeling like a thick winter morning bed, buried six comforters deep, and refuse to slip out. I stepped away quickly and quietly, hooked two fingers into my shoes and shot out the side door. I'd thought I had love. What I had was a rough contentment, a settling that felt like love only when it's held up to the dark, sucking mud all around me. Some of that mud was formed by me, pissing onto the starving earth. I considered climbing into the dumpster behind the building and waiting for the good men and women of the Metropolitan Solid Waste Department to serve up my fate. Instead... 
I called Lizzie. <laughs> Round of there you go, Matt. Oh man, you big bear hook there. I hope you're doing well, sir. I hope you really are. And Andy, you rock, absolutely rock. Thank you so much for this show. Seven hundred, seven hundred, man. Se- I'll just take a moment and think about that show. Seven hundred. I honestly now my hair. I'm nearly all white. <laughs> I was just a kid when I started, man. <gasps> Anyway, that's just fantastic. Matthew and Anthony, thank you so much indeed. Until next time, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.